Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your, your host, Kurt Sandvig. I'm your host, Kurt Zambig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about little people. Seriously, you'll see what I mean in a second. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. That's right, we have shout-outs going out to all the patrons. You can head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac. These are the people that make this show. So if you like this show, please thank them. And I'm very excited to see that... Uh, a familiar name is now on the patron list. It, it, it's very nice, and I'm very, very happy to say uh, a special shout-out to Buzz. But we have shout-outs to all the patrons, including Clay, Tim, Buzz, Tom, Lobita Works, Glacier Maine, Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy, Tamara, 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 Daddy, Amber, Gary, Tracy, Matthew, Sandy, Kelly, Joe, My Grand's Crypto. I don't know what that is, but I love it. Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic Robot Webcomic is back. Sandy, Paige, Cow, Sean, Andrew, Scott, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Rick, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Michael, Terminal Animal, Alicia, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Elizabeth, Void, Tech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Ian, Armor Times 10, Alexandra, George, Seth, Zozo the Demon, Zozo, hey Zozo, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, oh my god, I gotta do a special shout out to Zozo the Demon, Ashley, what's that, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren and Phil, Mangano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Stacy, Paula, Jerry, Leo, Scoston, Lindsay, Megan, Matt, Jerry, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, the Lauren Strawn. Hey, howdy, hi, Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura, and Gamer Fan. But I got some special shout-outs. I got a very special congratulations to Tim. A special shout-out to Jin. That's Jin Richter. If you're still listening, special shout-out to you. And a very special birthday shout-out to Joshua Grandel, 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 I don't know, how do you say your last name? I apologize, but happy birthday. And a special happy birthday to Paul McCartney. The Sir Paul McCartney, happy birthday. And then as always, we have two special shout outs to Joe and to Stitch. Alrighty, let's get right on into, well, no, actually, I take that back. First, we need to do the Hand of Fate update. Let me play that intro music here. Hand of Fate updates. Updates. Uh, Kurt here. There's no update. It's alrighty. Hand of Fate update. Has anything happened? Let me look at it. Let me look at it in real time. It's still there. There's no blood dripping from it. No blood dripping from the walls. Nothing. Uh, have I gotten any emails? No, I have not. The mystery person that sent me this. Please, please, send me an email. I'll keep your email address anonymous if you don't want to create a fake one or whatever. But you, it's real easy to make an, you know a new Gmail. But send any, send us an email. We want to have some more. We want to like more info. We need updates. And by we, I mean everybody listening. Uh, I get asked a lot about the hand of fate in private messages. Uh, people that think they have figured out what the sigils mean. People think that they figure out where the hand came from. Um, but these are all just guesses. So we need to know and until someone shows me like, you know, proof like, hey, here's the hand. I, I saw this same hand in, in a museum or in, you know, the, there was old photos of this hand somewhere. I'm just going to assume that everybody's guess is just that. It's just a guess. But the person that found the hand, if you're listening, please, please reach out because I want to know more about it. All right. That's about all I can. Uh, that's about it for the. Hand of Fate update. Let's get right on into paranormal news. Ghost demons that haunt the night. Strange objects fly through the sky. Shadow people are spending the night again. 
love it. All right. The first one in paranormal news is one that I just kind of stumbled upon and then found out after I, I, you know, liked the actual thing. I found out more about it and found out that it was actually part of paranormal. So I was like, oh, I got to add this to the show. It is the Shook Hotel. It comes from my home state of Michigan in Saginaw, Michigan. They say a ghost hunters attraction and a Saginaw landmark is up for sale. Now, the article actually has it wrong, and it's it's a new article, so I don't know why the price is wrong. The actual price is $397,000. For that price, you get a tavern, which is a beautiful bar. I mean, it's gorgeous. You get a hotel, two-level hotel above it. It was built in the 1860s. They said the bottom floor is a tavern with a bar and a kitchen, dining area, shuffleboard, metal ceilings from the era. Presently, six apartments available to rent on the second floor. Good for potential income for renters. Third floor needs remodeling. That's where I would do the Paranormal Almanac headquarters if I could buy this. The tavern includes equipment and bar and kitchen with a pizza oven, all dishes, cookware, license, blah, blah, blah. All righty. Let's get to the paranormal part of it, though. Stepping inside, Saginaw's historic and supposedly haunted Shook Hotel is almost like stepping back in time. Oh, before I do that, there's also supposedly... Prohibition-era tunnels underneath it. And there's been paranormal investigators that have heard all kinds of stuff in the tunnels, including voices, shadow people, um, things move. Like, you name it. It's it's Check the list on the basics. Uh, people see a woman in the third-story window, the third-floor window, whatever. Uh, there's a woman in white. So, I mean, it's everything paranormal. But, all right, let me read this to you. The hardwood floor and much of the tin ceiling are original to the approximately 150-year-old building. The barn oversized antique mirror beside it are eye-catching, and the Stein collection numbers in the thousands. Underground tunnels, oh, they do mention them. Underground tunnels used during the Prohibition area are still located beneath it. Those are the things that can be seen, but people who know the building well say that other things about the Saginaw landmark, located at 301 North Hamilton Street, Saginaw, Michigan, can only be felt. There's a lot more than what meets the eye, says Michael Perry, who's, whose family has owned the hotel and saloon, one of the oldest in the country, for decades. Perry and some of his relatives, including his mother, Helen, gave the, blah, 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 the tour of the hotel on October 27th. Uh, it's been in the family since. Bought it in the early 2000s. Da, 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 throughout its history, lumber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get to the spooky stuff. Let's say the... the People also believe that the Shook is haunted. I didn't believe it, but I do now, says Jan Ralphie Bushy, general manager and Michael Perry's sister. She said that through the years, she's encountered a ghostly presence in the building, particularly on the third floor. She recalls unexplained sounds and sensations that she and others familiar with the building attribute to the supernatural. Your hair will stand up. It'll stand right up. Late at night when you're cleaning up, they make themselves known. There's a blue antique dress hanging in the dining room that is rumored to be mysterious that is rumored to mysteriously move around the building and a piano near the fireplace that supposedly plays on its own. Ghost hunters from across the country are drawn to the place. In 2010 it was featured in a Haunting on Hamilton Street. It's a film made by a team of paranormal investigators who spent nearly 40 nights in it and other historic buildings on Hamilton and documented their experience. Despite these accounts of supposed paranormal activity, Michael Perry and his family said the building is welcoming place with a warm feeling. Uh, that's about it. It goes into the building more, including a video of the actual building, which I haven't watched yet. I got I to gotta watch that. But uh, I'm absolutely in love with the building, love with the area. It's real close to the riverfront. I mean, it's a gorgeous area. And, you know, if I had $397,000 lying around, I'd buy it. I think it'd be cool. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news. Mysterious flying pyramid drones swarm U.S. warships. You might have been said, Kurt, we've heard this story before. And you're right. But the U.S. Navy today, not today, on the 19th, oh, 16th, sorry, two days ago. Not in the future. Today's the 18th. 
Two days ago, the U.S. Navy released footage from a series of mysterious drone swarm incidents around its warships. The five videos follow the release of Pentagon, Pentagon documents. Sorry, Rum is trying to get my attention here. Pentagon documents to me, U.S. media. Out, hold on, Rum. You want here? Here, let's get you a treat. There you go. Go enjoy that. All righty. Rum's going to eat her treat while I tell you this story. Where did I leave off? The live videos follow the release of Pentagon documents to U.S. media outlet The Drive about unidentified flying objects that occurred in 2019 near naval ships off the coast of California. Among the videos, two were taken from the destroyer USS Russell. Where's the videos? I want to see the videos. Let's watch the videos. All righty, here we go. Now, there are some skeptics that say the, the fact that they're America's little diamonds, companies oh, are there's no, together. no free commercials on my podcast. They said that the reason that they come up as little triangles is just the way that the camera's pixels work. And they probably are right. So they're probably not flying pyramids, but everybody says, no, these things are pyramids. They look like pyramids. We have visual of four probable unidentified drones. Course unknown and speed unknown. Contacts are operating at a range of a thousand yards and holding. Tail numbers are unknown. Wow. All right. Well, that that was it. That was cool. Uh, look, I always will watch more, you know, weird UFO videos, but uh, I don't think I got anything new out of that story. So let's move on. Up next in paranormal news, China says giant telescope may have picked up signs of alien life. The Sky Eye is a 500-meter radio telescope that came to use in 2020. They said that the, uh, it may have picked up signs of an alien life before a report was quickly deleted. The giant radio telescope detected electromagnetic signals of life on other planets, according to the report published by the official newspaper of China's Ministry of Science and Technology called Science and Technology. The report was then quickly deleted, but still picked up. Wait, I want to know more about the why it was quickly deleted. Hold on. I want to see if I can Google more about this information. This story just ends right there, and I'm sure it has more. Several cases of possible techno technological traces in extraterrestrial civilizations from outside the Earth, according to a report published on Tuesday in Science and Technology Daily. The signals were picked up by China's 500-meter, yeah, we already know that, Sky Eye, largest telescope, yep, yep, sure, right? Tell me more about it. There are several narrow-band electromagnetic signals different from the past, and the team is currently working on further investigation, according to Zhang Tongji, head, of, head scientist at the China Extraterrestrial Civilization Research Group at Beijing Normal University. The possibility that the, that the suspicious signal is some kind of radio inf interference is also very high, and it needs to be further determined, confirmed, and then ruled out. This may be a long process. Following the publication, the report quickly began to circulate on the Chinese social media network Weibo, Weibo, whatever, and was picked up by a number of other state-run outlets. But the reason behind its sudden deletions are unclear. Well, that's interesting. It's almost... More proof that they took it down real quick. If they would have just let it, left it up and people would have just said, well, you know, the skeptics would have said, well, they say right there it could be interference. So that's probably what it was, is interference. But the fact that they took it down so quick, like, what the hell is that? All righty, up next in paranormal news. Oh, uh, before I click off of that page, that uh, Perry's Shook Bar Hotel, once again, it's $397,000. Uh, it is for sale you guys can go and find it online. It's at 301 North Hamilton Street, Saginaw, Michigan. I know, the reason I'm repeating the address is I know someone's going to say, can you give us the address again? Well, you can rewind it now and hear it twice. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, Bill Clinton discusses UFOs, Area 51, and aliens with James Gordon. Reggie, do you have a question for our guest this evening? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, tonight's question is... Hello. Hi. Uh, with the recent release of Pentagon uh, footage of unidentified aerial phenomena uh, and uh, things like Project Blue Book and uh, ATIP and all of these various things, in your former position and currently with the current information that's released, what's your viewpoint on what these objects uh, that seem to defy all laws of physics are? Well, first of all, that's a... That's a legitimate question now. And 
the short answer, but not the most meaningful one, is I don't know about this. But when I was president, and I had a chief of staff, John Podesta, who loved science fiction, we made every attempt to find out everything about Roswell. <laughs> and, I, and we also sent people to Area 51 to make sure there were no aliens in a deep <laughs> Because Area 51 is very did important. You send? Who do you send to Area 51? Oh, if I told you that. <laughs> no, actually, I, I sent my uh, Sandy Berger, who passed away sadly a couple years ago, who was my national security advisor. But I said, we got to find out how we're going to deal with this because that's where we do a lot of our, our invisibility research in terms of technology. Like, how do we have fly airplanes that aren't picked up by radar and all that? So that's why they're so secretive. But there's no aliens, as I know. On the other hand, Hillary and I went to Hawaii in 2018 to the Big Island where uh, all the telescopes are on top of the mountain, you know, including the Keck telescope, the largest in the world. And several countries have scientific teams there. So after we toured the telescope, we went down and met with them. And I said, do you guys argue about the likelihood of life in outer space? He said, we have huge arguments. I said, you do? He said, oh, well, huge. I said, what's the range? He said, there are those of us who think it's 85% likely and those of us who think it's 95%. <laughs> he said, these are people who spend their lives doing this. He said, we think, in other words, it's very unlikely that there is not life there are a billion, not a billion planets, a billion solar-like systems. There are lots of mysteries out there, which is why I think we should take good care of this planet. I think we ought to kind of hang on to it if we can. And, <laughs> and I think, and, uh, but I also think it should keep us humble. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, President Bill Clinton. That is cool. And about as much of an answer as you're ever going to get from a president or former president about it currently, I'll say. I think that in the future, more of this stuff is going to be released. And it's going to be, like I said, it's just baby steps to disclosure. And I love it. All right, I forgot to add these next two to the last week's episode. But I want to do them now because I really liked them. The first one is, not haunted, a vintage chair for sale goes viral for hilarious advertising. A woman went viral on Twitter for sharing a photo of a vintage chair in England that was advertised as not haunted. She posted a photo of the haunted quote-unquote chair on Twitter where it received 1.2 million likes, 116,000 retweets, and 5,000 quote tweets since Wednesday afternoon. The viral photo showed a vintage wingback chair that had a sign reading definitely not haunted on it. That's definitely something a haunted chair would say, some people tweeted. And, uh, yeah, it went viral, and I absolutely love it. And I got to say, look, if you want to sell something, that seems to be the way to do it because everybody was talking about it, and I think it sold for more because of it. And lastly, in the forgotten paranormal news, Catholic exorcists say they are overloaded with possessed people, according to a study. A survey of 120 Italian exorcists by the Pontifical Athenium Regina Apostolorum I'm sure that I either got that right or I did a bad Harry Potter spell just then. A Vatican-approved university in Rome found that they were overwhelmed by a growing number of possessed people. Researcher Giuseppe Frau said that some of the exorcists were seeing 30 to 50 cases a day, according to the Times of London. There are 290 exorcists in Italy, the study says. Exorcists told researchers that they have experienced little support from bishops while attempting to free Catholics from professed demonic possession. They also appealed for more aid from psychologists to help them sift between the genuinely possessed and the mentally ill. One priest, Father Giuseppe Bernardi, sought help from psychologists over a hysterical young woman who jumped over pews, assaulted monks, and insulted them in several languages, including Latin, according to the Times. The woman's father said she suffered from a psychiatric problem, but her mother believed she was possessed. He then reached out to psychologists on his own without support from the church. He ultimately sided with the mother and performed a nine-hour exorcism on the woman in December, which was reported as successful. 
Participants in the Vatican University survey claimed that satanic possession could be distinguished by signs including vomiting, unusual physical strength, and a sudden capacity for ancient languages such as Latin, Hebrew, or Aramaic. You know, of those three symptoms, I'm going to say it's that last one that makes me really think you're possessed. If you just start vomiting, I'm going to think, you know, you ate bad sushi or you got drunk last night or something. Unusual physical strength? All right, too much caffeine, whatever. But if you start speaking to me in legit Latin, Hebrew, or Aramaic, then I'm going to take you seriously. Then I'm going to be like, shit's, shit's real now. Uh, let's see, the Times also reported that exorcists were frustrated over having to conduct exorcisms on people who tested positive for COVID-19. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't blame them. You got a per person who's possessed, that sucks. But a person who's possessed and has COVID, come on, that's crossing the line there. In April 2020, Italian Archbishop Carlo Maria Vagano called on his fellow clergy to perform a mass exorcism to quell Satan's frenzy during the COVID-19 pandemic. All right, all right. Uh, it keeps going on about, like, you know, the Pope approved all of these and... There's a whole lot of fun stuff. All right, with that, that's about it for that story. Craziness, please consult a professional for exorcisms. Don't try to do it yourself. And if the exorcism seems to be almost killing somebody or starving somebody, stop the exorcism. Again, make sure they're actually speaking Latin or Hebrew or Aramaic and not just faking like they are. You know, like, if it's legit, if it's real Latin and they've never spoken Latin before, Okay, that's creepy, that's an exorcism, but again, don't kill the person trying to exorcise the demon. Let's take a quick break, we'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. We are back! That's right, on this edition, I wanted to talk about something a little different. When I said at the very beginning, little people, I am not trying to disparage any person's height. I'm not trying to be heightist. That's not what I'm talking about at all. What I am talking about are race or races of little people that roamed America, much like, you know, like gnomes and fairies and leprechauns and you name it, a bunch of species that roamed all over the world. That's right. America had its own or has, I'm going to say has, because I really want to be supportive and take this as seriously as I possibly can, you know, for this show. Uh, for these little people, because uh, there's a ton of species, a bunch of species that were known to and talked about by the local Native Americans throughout history. In fact, it was very common for Native Americans to talk about these tiny, tiny people, like less than two feet tall, like 13, inch, 13 inches was seemed to be like the average height of these little people that the Native Americans would talk about. Each Native American tribe had their own name for them. I want to say has, has their own name for them. To the Iroquois, they're called Jogaho. To the Comanche, they're called Nunupi. And to the Cherokee, they're called, oh, I'm going to get this one wrong, Yunwi Sundi. I think that's right. Now, other names, I definitely, of, I have already forgotten, even though I just did it a second ago. I've already forgotten how to pronounce this one, so give me one second. I don't want to get this one wrong because this is a big one that I want to talk about. It's the Nimiragar, but I want to see how you pronounce it. How do you say it? Namadaka. What? Really? Namadaka? The Nimiragar, also known as the Namumbi, Ninipi, Nanimbi, Ninipi, Ninimipi, Nanumpi, Oh, there's so many names. Pronunciations vary wildly by dialect, similar to Namadaka. Namumbi is pronounced Namumbi. All right, but I want to get that Namirajar, Namiragar. Oh, here we go. Here's the one. Let's do this. Namiragar. Oh, it is just Namiragar. Namiragar. Okay, good. So I'm saying it right as a look. If anybody messages me saying, hey, you said that wrong, first of all, I admit that I'm going to get names wrong because they're Native American names and they're very difficult for me and I apologize, but I don't want to disrespect any Native American and say something wrong. So according to the internet, it says Namiragar. So that's what I'm going with. And they're also known as Kanakawasha, 
and there's tons more. I mean, there really are. I kind of went down a rabbit hole on this episode for a long time. Over the past few months, the deeper down the rabbit hole I went about these little people, for lack of better terms, and some call them pygmy later on in the episode, they'll they'll call them pygmies, but these these tiny people, this tiny race of people that were like people eaters. They they called they were these little people that killed people, killed other Native American tribes. But the farther I went down the rabbit holes, some were easy to debunk, and that's that's cool. I could easily go, well, that's bullshit. I know that's bullshit because I found corroborating scientific evidence to say that's bullshit. But I got to admit, I was really surprised to find evidence that they were real. There is actual scientific evidence to back up some of what I'm about to tell you. Now, I kept putting this episode off because it's a hard one to lay out, to kind of, you know, make comprehensible, if you will, to do the outline for. So I would start to write it, I'd start to write the outline, and then I'd get bogged down, or I'd go in circles, and I'd just stop, and I'd put it away for a while. But I'd think about, you know, I think, I think, that I think I know how I'm going to do this episode. I'm going to do it kind of chronological to a degree, then I'm going to talk about the legends, and then I'm going to go into some of the otter grain of salt kind of stuff. But it's very cool to go down these kind of rabbit holes and then find out that there's scientific evidence to back them up. That's when I really get excited about an episode is when when there's proof to it, when I can say it's not all, because a lot of these rabbit holes, you go down like, you know, like, like bullshit flat earther at rabbit holes, it's just more bullshit on top of bullshit or more regurgitated bullshit on top of regurgitated bullshit. And it's kind of what I thought was going to happen with this. It really was. I thought it would be a bunch of legends and old stories about Native American tales, but no meat to it, if you will. No no evidence to it. And then when I found that first piece of evidence, I was like, ooh, this is a good one. I can't wait to do this episode. So let's get right into it. The first is the legend or one of the legends. Then, like I said, I'm going to get to the facts that can prove the legend. Now, let's focus on the more... Prominent little people, the one that I just did the uh, the pronunciation for, the Namiragar, because they're the ones that were talked about the most by Native Americans. Now, Namiragar roughly translates to people eaters. They were found in the Rocky Mountains and were first told about from the Shoshone people. Now, according to the Shoshone, the Namiragar were an aggressive little people, no more than a couple feet high, who would shoot poison arrows from tiny bows. They were believed to kill their own people with a blow to the head if they became too ill to be participate to be a participating member of society. Now this will be important later, so let me repeat that little tidbit. They were known to kill their own kind with a blow to the head when they became too ill or too sick to be an active part of their society. All right, like I said, more on that later. But let's jump to a missionary it's a guy named Zeisberger who in 1778 in Cohocton, Ohio, actually found evidence of an ancient graveyard. Now, he wrote about it in detail, and thankfully he did, because sadly, people are dumb and have since destroyed it. But that's a spoiler. I'm kind of skipping ahead. All right, so he wrote... On one of those elevated gravelly alluvians so common on the rivers of the West from some remains of wood still apparent in the earth around the bones. That's right. He found graves. The bodies seem to have all been deposited into, into coffins, and what is more curious is the fact that the bodies buried here were generally not more from more than three to four and a half feet in length. Okay. So, yes, these were taller than the two-foot Namiragar, but... Those were out in the Rocky Mountains. This was over in Ohio. Still, three foot as an average height is a very tiny group of people that weren't known, still kind of aren't known. There's there's some, scientist, some science that I'll get to in a little bit. But three to four and a half feet in length were the top lengths of these bodies. He said they were very numerous and must have been tenants of a considerable city or their numbers could not have been so great. A large number of graves have been opened. 
the inmates of which are all but this pygmy pygmy race. Like I said, they, they call them pygmies quite a bit in this episode. No metallic articles or utensils have been found to throw light on the period or the nations to which they belong. Then, the centennial history of Coshocton County, Ohio, wrote this in 1909. The earliest accounts speak of, speak of our mounds being regarded even in the Indians' days as structures of a remote antiquity. So what they're saying is, in the Indians' days, hundreds of years ago, these were still antiquities to them. They were their ancestors' graves, if you will. The missionary Zeisberger noted 133 years ago the numerous signs of an ancient race here. He referred particularly to the cemetery containing thousands of graves near the mounds three miles south of Kashokton. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, Ohio people. I'm sorry. The skeletons reduced to chalky ashes were three feet to four and a half feet long, smaller than Indian or mound skeletons. These pygmies have led to much conjecture. Thus far, no definitive conclusion is recorded in any of the notices of this ancient city of the dead. The, big, the bibliography of Ohio earthworks prepared for the Smithsonian Institution includes the notice in Howe's historical collections quoted from Dr. Hildreth's description in Silliman's journal in 1835. Basically, the Smithsonian Institute got involved. Many scientists investigated these mounds, including Hildreth, Silliman. There's a third one in there somewhere. Um, this also mentions an ancient cemetery of pygmies near St. Louis. So now we have two cemeteries. There are skeletons that were found in stone sepulchers, sepulchers, I don't know. While those there, how does, look, how do, I, I, that seems dumb. I should know that word. So I'm, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. How do you fucking pronounce sepulchers? All right, sepulchers. Cool. While those here seem to have been in wooden coffins. So what they're saying is there were stone coffins in St. Louis. In Ohio, there were wooden coffins. A discovery of pygmy graves on the Keene Bethlehem Township line is credited to J.C. Milligan. Trust me, he found some. No need to go down that. Oh, that's me. Sorry. I had to add that part. Look, this J.C. Milligan guy, trust me, he found some graves. There's no need to go down that rabbit hole. That was a little note for myself because that was one of the many rabbit holes I went down was J.C. Milligan. It's fine. He was real. He found graves in St. Louis. No need to go down that rabbit hole. Hildreths relates that in one of the Kakashkin graves was found a skeleton five and a half feet long, or Kurt here, as I would like to call it, normal-sized. Now, Hildreth relayed that this one had decayed pieces of oak and iron nails, but here's where it gets weird. The skull was triangular in shape, much flattened at the sides and the back, though not with the slant brow of flat Indians seen in the West. A hole pierced the back of the skull. All right, see, that's interesting, but that's not the blow to the back of the head I was talking about earlier, maybe. Maybe that's the first one I'll put, but there'll be more later. Now, the bones were displaced, the skull being found with the pelvis from which is inferred that the body was dismembered before burial. In the St. Louis Cemetery was found among the, the pygmies one skeleton of a rather large development, though not taller than the rest. The legs were cut off at the knees and placed alongside the thigh bones. They talk about the um, Nanakoke Indians in Maryland who dried their bones their dead, wrapped them, blah, 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 moved them around. But they said that there is no known evidence of this body, of like who these bodies are, what, what tribes these bodies belong to, especially with the average size being three to four feet long. They go on to say that the long rows of graves of the pygmy race at Kashokton were reg regularly arranged with the heads to the west, a circumstance which has given rise to the theory that these people were sun worshipers, facing the daily approach of the sun god over the eastern hills. In this respect, however, there is no resemblance to the various positions of skeletons found in other mounds like the St. Louis one, or around the world, they're saying, actually. The iron nails, um, that they thought was kind of interesting, including this guy named Frederick Putman, who was a curator of the Peabody Museum, and they think that masses of meteoric iron were found on an altar with bars of iron and other objects made from the metal. So they think that the iron in these 
these nails was from meteors. They have no idea how old these bodies were. Again, um, <laughs> sadly, the bodies were destroyed. The graves were destroyed because, you know, life went on and there was good land and they wanted to farm in these lands, especially in the Ohio one. And, uh, yeah, they lost a shit ton of archaeological evidence because of farming. Why? I, I've never understood that. If you're a farmer, even back then, in the 1800s, and you come across these mass graves of tiny people, you're just going to like, well, screw that. I'm going to till right through that so I can grow my corn in there. Really? What the fuck is that? Like, you want to grow corn in a graveyard? That's how you get haunted corn, people. Uh, let's see. Uh... They talk about some Moravian graves uh, because the Moravian minister from Pennsylvania visited the ancient cemetery and remarked a custom among Moravians about burying people and the way they buried people, and he thinks that it might have something to do with them, but still. All right, look, that was a lot, okay? So basically, we have some definite smaller people. Average size, three to four foot tall, up to five feet tall, which is very odd. And they also mentioned they definitely had different skull features. And like I said, spoiled at the beginning, that massive graveyard was plowed over and used as fields, basically just destroyed everything because people are dumb. But it was written about and investigated by numerous reputable scholars and publications. So it did happen, and some lost tribe of smaller people existed in the St. Louis and the Ohio area. But is that it, you might be asking? Kurt, is that all you have? That's not very paranormal or spooky. What gives? And that's to, to that I say, just look at the time that's left on this episode. Obviously, I have more to tell you, and I'm not going to just, you know, like, fill the rest of this podcast with the same. Cause I was dead, I was dead, forever dead, forever dead. All right, there's enough of that nonsense. Um, all right, so that's just one of the legends and one of the factual stories. But let's hear some more, okay? Because just like in Ohio, in the early 1800s, even more news stories about pygmy graves popped up. That's right, they found more of these pygmy graves in Nashville, so basically Tennessee, just like the last one, the graves were usually discovered by people disturbing the earth for farming, construction. One was found because of erosion. All had that same kind of grave as the last ones. Small graves, small bodies, the boxes were small. Here's this one though. The one in Nashville, the boxes were really small, approximately two feet long, 14 inches wide, 16 inches deep. They called them rustic, rectangular stone boxes or sarcophagi containing normal-sized adult skulls but bones that were only two feet tall. The Nashville Whig newspaper in July 1820 wrote, and it's really hard to read, so I'm going to try it. Tennessee Pygmies. Prehistoric America must have been an exceedingly curious and interesting country. Its forests were filled with mastodons, megatherlums, and other large and lively beasts, any of which thought nothing of scratching himself on the sharp pinnacles of a convalent Gothic church, whatever, and so toppling over on its scores of helpless pew holders. In the Mississippi Valley, the industrious mound builders were, were constantly throwing up gigantic molehills and planting them with earthen pots and, cop and copper hatchets in the vain expectation that seeds thus sown would yield enormous crops of kitchenware and carpenter's tools. In Kentucky, the giants whose bones recently discovered in a Kentucky cave are said to have belonged, strode loftily and along the turnpike, kicking the Indians and the mound builders contemptuously out of the way. And finally, in Tennessee, where a race of pygmy, pygmies was continually holding political meetings and resolving that Mastodon moon builders and giants should be promptly abolished, and that the size of the inhabitants of this country should be made and kept commensurate with its commercial necessities. 
It is rather odd that the existence of the Tennessee pygmies of prehistoric America was until recently never suspected. The name of the mastodon has long been familiar to every person who is in the least degree addicted to fossils. His remains, of blah, 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 goes on and on and on. Basically, it is a very flourished 1820s kind of style to say, you know, like, look, we found a bunch of bones of giants in caves in Kentucky. I've talked about those in previous episodes. We found all of these bones of mastodons that show that man and mastodon existed at the same time. But now in Tennessee... They have found a grave, a mass grave of pygmies. It's weird. And it gets weirder. That was a regular newspaper. But there is grain of salt time. There's a book by Mary A. Joyce called Cherokee Little People that has testimony of men who discovered ancient little tunnels, small skeletons, and even a child-sized skull with all its wisdom teeth when they were working on early construction projects at Western Carolina University in Cullowee, North Carolina. I'm sure I said that part wrong. There's also newspapers from the Woodbury Press with this story too. So at first I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go to the university website and see if there was anything written about in the history of the construction on it that they found little tunnels, small skeletons, all that crap. Well, I couldn't find anything on their website but there is a lot of news stories from that time. A pygmy graveyard in Tennessee, an ancient graveyard of vast proportions has been found in Coffee County, is similar to those in White County and other places in Middle Tennessee, but it is vastly more extensive and shows that the race of pygmies who once inhabited this country were very numerous. The same peculiarities of position observed in the White County graves are found in these. The writer of the letter says some considerable excitement and curiosity took place a few days ago since near Hillsboro, Coffee County on James Brown's farm. A man was plowing in a field which had been cultivated many years and plowed up a man's skull and other bones. After making further examination, they found that there were about six acres in the graveyard. They were buried in a sitting or standing position. The bones show that they were a dwarf tribe of people about three feet high. It is estimated that there were about 75,000 to 100,000 buried there. This shows that this country was inhabited hundreds of years ago. 75,000 to 100,000. Well, I think, again, that is very early newspaper flourishments. I don't think there are really 100,000 graves that were found in this guy's six-acre farm. I think they just meant there were thousands of bones, hundreds of thousands of bones found. Sure, that I can get behind. But they did say that the bodies were buried sitting or standing position. They were dwarf tops three feet tall. So yet another one with evidence because, again, they were investigated. The bodies were found to be human three feet tall. Then ancient human remains were supposedly excavated at Russell Cave in Alabama, which is not far from the Tennessee state line, And some skulls were actually scientifically tested with these results. Pygmy skulls from Tennessee have been found that match a race of pygmies from the Philippines and Malaysia. The Malaysian and Philippine pygmies are regarded by archaeologists as remnants of a formerly extensive mongoloid pygmy race that once occupied much of the southeastern Asia. Some scholars believe that their characteristics can still be recognized in the sporadic dark skin, squat stature, stature, and nappy hair observed among some southern Chinese. Horrifically worded, I agree with you. However, there's a further riddle of the Tennessee pygmies. They were found in association with Europoids and inscribed artifacts of Europoid type. So they did tests on them, and they found that they matched a race of pygmies from the Philippines and Malaysia an unknown race of pygmies in America. From there, we jump to 1932 to the big crazy what the fuck part of this edition. The most highly debated, spoiler, mummy on this episode. October 1932, there were two men, pro- two men pros- uh, prospectors, Cecil Maine, Cecil Maine, and Frank Carr, it's Cecil, Cecil Main and Frank Carr were digging for gold in the San Pedro Mountains of Carbon County, Wyoming. They were trying to find the main vein 
I'm going to pause right there for the giggling. Yes, they were trying to find the main vein. So they blasted their way through some thick rock that a large vein of gold went into. Now, when the dust settled, they said, holy crap. They, they were like, were shocked because what they had found was they had opened up a small cavern. It was about 15 feet long, four feet high, sealed off from the outside world by a thick wall of rock. And in that room wasn't gold, but the mummy that I just spoiled for you a minute ago. It would have been so much better if I hadn't spoiled that part. Yep, they found a mummy of a tiny person. Not a five foot one like one of those people did in St. Louis or whatever. Not a four foot tall, not even a three foot tall mummy. But a mummy sitting cross-legged, 14 inches tall. Now, it was said in a report not long after discovery. As the men entered the cave, they were surprised to see a small pygmy-like man sitting cross-legged upon a ledge. The tiny mummy was about six and a half inches tall in its seated position and estimated at 14 inches tall in a standing position. Its skin was brown and wrinkled, its forehead low and flat. Features displayed a flat nose, heavy-lidded eyes, and a very wide mouth with thin lips. The face looked like that of an old man. It was so well-preserved, its fingernails could still be seen on its hands, and the top of its head was covered in a dark, jelly-like substance that was still pliable. Gross. Spoiler, brains. So, these two guys, they pick up their tiny mummy, they head to Casper, Wyoming, and that's when word got out, and it really got out quick. So a bunch of people from all over came to see this new tiny mummy. They called it Pedro. Now, scientists in the media were like, this thing's a hoax, until the mummy was x-rayed. I'll get to that in a minute. And they found a perfectly formed man-like skeleton. The test also showed that the mummy had been killed violently as the spine was damaged, the collarbone, a collarbone was broken, and a heavy blow had smashed the skull. See, that thing when I said earlier about the small people were thought to kill their elderly by bashing their skulls? This is why I said that. So from Native American lore about these little people that would hunt Native Americans and eat them by shooting poison darts at them, poison arrows at them, and then would kill their elderly by bashing them with the skulls, well, there seems to be some evidence to back that up. Now, they said when they did the investigation that the soft substance at the top of the head was exposed brain tissue and congealed blood. After the tests were completed, the scientists estimated that the mummy was a full-grown adult who was approximately 65 years old at the time of his death. One odd finding, well, two odd findings, was that the mummy's teeth were overly pointed, having a complete set of canines and a full stomach of solid food and even weirder, body hair. Why is that weird? Well, because a lot of skeptics say it wasn't a mummy of a grown man, grown tiny man. It was the mummy of a baby with, uh, with this disease. I'll get to it. I'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, there's a lot of people that were like, no, it's just a child that suffered from, oh, what is it called? Give me one second while I look it up. Anencephaly. Anencephaly. There we go. Anencephaly. That's what. It, that's the word that I was looking for. There's a lot of skeptics that say, "Look, it was proven. It was proven a hoax that it wasn't a grown man. It was just a, a child that suffered from anencephaly, which would explain the odd head shape. I agree with that, and also the exposed brain. But it doesn't explain the full set of teeth, the stomach full of solid food, the body hair, the fact that there was definitely trauma." to the collarbone. There was like a blow to the head, basically. So there are some people that say this is bullshit. All of Pedro is bullshit. And others that say not true, but I'm kind of jumping ahead. All right, so the mummy. Let's get back to the mummy. It was sold in Wyoming. It was displayed at a local drugstore where it was shown as an attraction for several years. In 1950, then, it was brought to the American Museum of Natural History in New York. That's when it was examined. Uh, it was examined by the museum's medical staff, even. That's where the x-rays really got clear, showed the damage to the spine and the better detail of the entire skeleton, which, again, they determined to be a grown man's skeleton. Very bizarre. Then, it was bought by Ivan T. Goodman, 
from Casper, uh, Wyoming. He was a businessman. He displayed it at his used car lot, I think. It's a little fuzzy, but I think that's where it was. Then when he died, the mummy was passed on to Letter Leonard Wadler, who was a New York businessman who took it to Florida when he retired. And that's where the trail runs cold. Because after Leonard died, no one seems to know what happened to this mummy. So if any relatives of Leonard Wadler or friends, Wadler, whoever knew him, if you know what happened to this mummy, hit me up, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Go to Paranormal Almanac at Facebook, Twitter, wherever. Hit me up. Let me know what happened to this mummy because people need this mummy for scientific research. There was at one time a $10,000 reward. It was active for a number of years for the return of the mummy or the original x-rays, but no one ever came forward with any of that. The reward is since long gone. I don't. I obviously don't have $10,000 to, to give you, but I will make sure that if the... If you can get me the mummy, if you can, why don't you send me that? Instead of sending me the hand of fate, send me this freaking mummy because I can get it scientifically tested. I'm sure that somebody like Ripley's or somebody would buy it and, and you can have the money. I just want to know what happened to the mummy. I really want to know for the scientific aspects, what happened to the mummy? Was it really just a child that suffered from, um, oh God, ana anencephaly? Was that what it was? Anencephaly. Yep, anencephaly. Or is it a grown man that was 14 inches tall, that was 65 years old, roughly 65 years old, that had died from a blow to the back of the head? We won't know until this mummy is recovered. He must have done something with it. He must have had friends in Florida. He seemed to be a popular businessman from New York. Where did the mummy go? And he only died in like the 90s or something. So it's very recent. It's very bizarre that this mummy just kind of dropped off the face of the earth. But it's also not the only mummy like this. Because in the 1990s, another mummy was found just like Pedro. This one was named Chiquita. It was found when a Native American family who had kept this mummy in their attic for generations. Kurt here, who the hell keeps a mummy in their attic for generations? Well, they said, oh, we got one of those. Same kind of thing. His, her arms and legs were folded in the same way as Pedro. So people were sort of like, what the hell? Let's examine this mummy. This mummy was examined. It was determined to be the remains of a little girl and claimed that her birth date was somewhere in the 1500s. With DNA research, they were able to find out that the baby was of Native American origin, despite the fact that she had blonde hair. An anthropologist discovered that Chiquita had died as a result of anencephaly, but Chiquita did not have a full set of Canaan teeth or a stomach full of solid food or body hair, but it is very interesting that the mummy happened the same way as Pedro happened, sitting in a cross-legged position. So there is some kind of connection there, but there's also no records of Native Americans doing this to, ch to children that died or to children with anencephaly that died. There are no records of it. It's weird. Now, Chiquita, still around. You can see Chiquita. You can actually find a ton of photos of Pedro if you just kind of look for him. Um, you can look up like Wyoming mummy. You can look up a bunch of stuff. But the Chiquita one looks very similar to Pedro, but not identical. It's it's bizarre. Uh, Chiquita actually has her mouth open a little bit. Looks more baby-like, in my opinion only, and I'm no expert on tiny mummies. But in my opinion, the Chiquita mummy looks more childlike than the Pedro mummy. All righty. From there... <laughs> now we're going to go into the more grain of salt kind of stuff because here's a crazy long story from the 70s that I can't verify no matter how many rabbit holes I went down before I found it. So I'm going to read it almost as is. It's from an article in a 1976 issue of Oklahoma Today magazine. It had a piece about the little people in Oklahoma, so another state with little people, bodies found. Supposedly, it has a photograph of one of the creatures. It says this, The eerie tale of medicine men and spirit guides comes from the yellow hills east of Ardmore, Oklahoma. 
Howard Meredith wrote an article for the Oklahoma scrapbook section of the magazine entitled Kanakawasha and receiving a letter from a columnist for the Daily Armorite named Mac McGill, Mac, Mac, McGalliard. Sure, why not? Some guy named Mac, basically. The letter was in reference to a photo that Mac had been shown by a friend from the Yellow Hills named Buster Ned. All right, Kurt here. This is the worst telephone game already. There's Howard, who wrote an article, received a letter by a guy named Mac. He was talking about a photo that he had been shown by a friend named Buster. So we're already like four or five levels away from it. But it makes me question everything. So that's why I said grain of salt going into this. A full-blown Choctaw, Choctaw, Ned, was chairman of the Choctaw Chickasaw Heritage Preservation Committee. He told him, I want you to see a picture. You have Choctaw blood. This is part of your Choctaw heritage, and I want you to see. You won't laugh, right? You'll believe me. Mac said, I will not laugh. As you say, I have Choctaw blood. I'm a believer. So the photo showed a Choctaw medicine man named Uncle Billy Washington, who came from Mississippi to Oklahoma during the early days of the Indian Territory. He became a valued residence to the people of Yellow Hills, ministering them, collecting herbs in the woods, making his medicine. And uh, they, they, they said that he was aided by an almost leprechaun-like being who led doctors to various herbs needed to cure the ailing. These spiritual beings were known to the Choctaw as the Kana Kawashas. Only the medicine men could see these special beings, though, who appeared to all others as a glowing light. That's interesting. Now, Uncle Billy's family did not have a single photo of him, so he was convinced to travel to Ardmore, Oklahoma, to have his portrait taken. To stage the photo, the photographer had him stand next to a small, bare table. Why? I don't know. Maybe because he said, hey, I got this little tiny guy that's always with me. You can't see him, but he's here. There's a tiny guy. Why don't you give him a little table to stand on? So they take a photo of him, of Uncle Billy Washington. When they developed the photo, it showed a small, strange creature standing on the table, which, again, was unseen when the picture was taken. To the Choctaw people, they said this is proof of the Kanakawasha, who had served Uncle Billy. Now, sadly, Uncle Billy died in 1930, but it said that his Kanakawasha and all of them do not die, but continue to roam the area. On dark nights near the doctor's former home, a glowing light can still be seen searching the Yellow Hills for another Indian to serve. That's crazy, but it gets worse or not worse. It gets better. The story goes on to talk about the Plains Indians that told of a battle with a hostile pygmy tribe. They referred to them as knee-high demons. The legend also suggested that these two fed on humans. Crazy. The Arapaho called them tiny people eaters. The Shoshone, as we already know them, called them people eaters. It's bizarre. So I posted the photo on Facebook. It's easy to find if you Google Uncle Billy Washington. And there is something next to him. It's small. It's humanoid. You know what it really looks to me like? It looks to me like, have you ever seen like a Kachina, um, Kachina doll? Like a little Native American Kachina doll? That's what it looks like to me. But I mean, it looks like, it's, well, hold on. Let me go, let me go to Facebook because people were like, oh, it looks like a, a chicken monkey ghost or a monkey chicken ghost. Like there were so many better answers to what it looked like to people. So let me, uh, <laughs> let me, let me look, let me go back to the photo. Here we go. So some, first of all, James brilliantly said, oh, I, cause I said, what do you guys think this is in this photo? He said, oh, it's one of those like Cotling fairy, um, Cotlingly fairies, which is, if you don't know the story, it's a bunch of faked fairy photos that were done forever ago. Some people thought it was the guy from Manamana and you know, like the monkey or monkeys, the Muppets, Manamana, do, 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 do. The guy that sings Manamana does kind of look like this thing that's standing next to Uncle Billy. Uh, one said a ghost monkey chicken. Jane said a ghost monkey chicken. Another one said <laughs> that it was, uh, um, uh, oh my God, why am I blanking on it? The uh, From South Park, uh, the uh, man bear pig. Another one thought it was a juvenile mystic. 
Uh, one of them thought it was a flying monkey. Hi, Rum. Yes, you're a good girl. I love you very much. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. Uh, some, someone just asked, Alicia, Alicia just asked, why is there a Muppet in the picture? Todd just said a man and his well-bred, well-dressed chicken friend. I mean, there's so many great answers to it. I mean, it really, well better. Um, yeah, it is a very, very bizarre photo. I highly recommend you go and find the photo of Uncle Billy Washington and this little thing just standing next to him on the table, clear as day, kind of looking at the camera. Is it real? Fuck if I know, man. I don't know, but it's odd that supposedly it wasn't a doctored photo, but they said on the bottom of the photo it says, Billy Washington, Choctaw doctor, had his portrait made in an Ardmore studio long ago, a little people helper who was invisible to the photographer, but not to the camera, appeared in the picture. Standing on a studio prop table, it is very, it is only very rarely that one of the little people gets caught by the camera lens. Very bizarre story. Can't prove any of it. As far as I know, it could be fake, but where's that little guy? If it's a faked photo, are you telling me that this entire time nobody has come forward with that little thing going... Check it out. Look what I found. Uncle Billy Washington's little helper. I don't know. And then another magazine from the 70s did a little piece, did a piece about little people too. In the April 1978 issue of Argosy magazine, there was an article entitled The Mystery of the Dwarf Demons, which mentioned a Casper, Wyoming attorney who found a mummy measuring 20 inches in height. That's it. I couldn't find anything else about it. Any more information. So, here it is as written. The incident took place before the U.S. Civil War. A Virginia aristocrat named George Murrell lived with his Cherokee wife near the town of Park Hill in the Cherokee Nation. This is where he used to fox hunt with friends, aided by a pack of hounds. One night, the hounds were hot on the trail of something that they could not seem to overtake. One of the members of the hunting party was a newspaper man named S.W. Ross. In 1937, he told the story of that hunt to the Indian Pioneer Magazine, or paper, sorry, Indian Pioneer Paper, which is an oral history of frontier times. Ross was quoted as saying, From their excited baying, the fast-running animals were apparently quite near the object of their pursuit. Mural and his friends, James Lada, were riding in the pack. Major Mural and Mr. Lada were close together, and upon coming near the hounds, saw running at great speed, immediately in front of the foremost hounds, a dwarf-like being with long black hair streaming in the early breeze run on a short distance and then suddenly vanish, leaving no trace or track. Immediately, the hounds lay down, panting and weary. The men stood in awe, unable to believe their eyes. There are some things we do not understand. Crazy, right? See? Then, <laughs> there's another story about an 81-year-old man named Henry Swing. Again, can't prove any of this who said he believes in the little beings. He knew Wilson Angle, who kept two of them, a boy and a girl, to protect his property from being stolen. Henry said that this guy, Wilson Angle, kept them in stone milk jars out east of his house and fed them nothing but straight water cornbread. When their host passed away, the pair went to live with another Indian named Buster Stone who lived in the same neighborhood. The little people are known to attach themselves to certain areas. This was the case... When a 90-year-old woman, considered a witch or a medicine woman, she claimed that the tiny beings made a path on the west side of her house. They used to come nightly to her house for food until a water line was installed, blocking their path and putting an end to their visits. I, I don't know. Uh, the Cherokee also went on to tell a, a story about how their ancestors were accompanied by the little people along the Trail of Tears. In 1838, the Cherokee people were forced to leave their home in, in Georgia and traveled to a former territory, now a, a foreign territory, now known as Oklahoma. The Yunwi Tsundis, the Yunwi, sorry, the Yunwi Sundis served as protectors and comforters during this tragic event in American history. Before the tribe migrated, they were given the gift of an everlasting fire. During months on the trail, through wind, snow, and rain, the little people kept the fire safely burning, according to Cherokee legend. The little people continue to protect the fire that still burns to this day, supposedly. So, there you go. There's a whole lot of stories about these possibly magical, possibly cannibal, tiny people that scientifically proven to have lived 
all across America. The Pedro mummy is still out there somewhere, supposedly. You wouldn't think, like, as soon as that guy died that someone's like, well, I don't know what the hell this little tiny monkey-looking thing is. I'm going to throw it out. Someone must have that mummy somehow. It's got to be out there somewhere, maybe still in Florida, maybe somewhere else, but the Pedro mummy is still out there. I'll post a photo of that as well. It's a very... It doesn't look childlike to me. I mean, it really doesn't. It. I can see why... The skeptics are like, no, the head is very anencephaly, whatever you pronounce it. I always, fuck it up, man, what is it? Anencephaly. Anencephaly. It's, it does look like a child that had anencephaly. I can see that. The top of the head does look like that. But the rest of the body doesn't. It doesn't explain the body hair. It doesn't explain the teeth. It doesn't explain the solid food in the stomach. There is something more to that story. I'm not saying it's 100% real, but I'm not saying it's 100% fake either, like some skeptics. I don't know what to think of the Pedro mummy. But it's really interesting that there seems to be this lost race that were all over America. Bodies were found, skulls were found that were different that doesn't seem to get talked about that very much at all, actually. And like I said, when I started this one, I really thought when I started going down the rabbit hole, I would be able to disprove everything. Some of the stuff I could disprove, but not everything. Chiquita, definitely a girl that suffered from anencephaly. That's proven. But it's very odd that she's sitting in the same position that Pager was sitting in, and she's from the 1500s with blonde hair, a Native American girl with blonde hair. Now, I'm very aware that... Native Americans could have blonde hair, but it's very rare, and even more so, that that happened to be mummy, mummified. There's no records of them ever doing that to children with anencephaly. I don't know what to think of it. What do you guys think, though? What do you guys think of these, these tiny people eaters that supposedly roam the land the same time as Native Americans and possibly shot them with poison arrows and ate them? It's bizarre. It's weird, it's paranormal, and I have no freaking answers. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed this one because, like I said, I was very surprised to find out that any of it was real. And uh, I thought it was kind of digging. I thought it was neat. I thought you guys would kind of dig it. All right, I hope you guys liked it. Uh, let's see, what do I got? What questions do I have for you? Oh, if you find a uh, mummy, in you know, this mummy that's always just been in the attic, if you want to send it to me, you can send it to me. But please let me know that, hey, inside the box is a mummy. Don't just send me a body because I don't need that kind of crap. But uh, why the hell do your people have, your, your family, why the hell do they just have a mummy up in the attic? That's not normal. That's not right. That's weird. You guys know that, right? You know that's weird. But uh, anyhow, if you got a mummy, send me photos. How about that? Let's start there um, because I think it might be interesting to see more of these mummies. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Well, you're better off. See you, my